Hi, and welcome back to a, a con- podcast over a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. Uh, this is a podcast where myself, Joe Freming from The Joe Down, and Paul Muadib from Cast That Movie, we talk Twin Peaks. Uh, this week, we're going through episodes six and seven, Cooper's Dream and Realization Time. So we're heading into the... We got one more episode left of this season, which we'll go out go uh, discuss in two weeks. But how's it going, Paul? Um, hey, everybody. Um, all right, I'm gonna apologize to everyone in advance right now. I think I'm not uh, the only one, but um, sleep is not um, coming uh, easy these days. And so, if I seem a little subdued, it's not because I'm not excited. It's not because I don't want to he- be here. Believe me, this has been something I've been looking forward to. For the last two weeks, because I get to talk about Twin Peaks and escape everything else that's going on uh, because of Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, Voldemort. Yeah, yeah, you know, Voldemort, the Black Lodge has taken over the planet. Something's going on. It's It sucks. This sucks, but we get to talk Twin Peaks, which we, uh, we certainly love to do. I'm just going to say right now, I believe that if if the Black Lodge is covering the Earth, I'm going to blame Wyndham Earl. So this is another reason why I fucking hate that character. <laughs> uh, all right. And so uh, with this, these two episodes, there really isn't much because we've been kind of viewing the backdrop of, uh, you know, Jacob Wetterling's mis- mm-hmm. uh, kidnapping. This timeline where we're at right now, and there's going to be like maybe a few other things down the road, but it's kind of where his case stopped kind of cold and went into like a lot of clusterfuck with the uh, FBI and law enforcement and everything, which we'll, we'll, we've touched on. It, it became just a huge rumor mill. Everything's going crazy, kind of like going on right now where... We have no idea what's going on when this nightmare is going to end. Mm-hmm. Goddamn Voldemort. <laughs> Goddamn Voldemort. Yeah, you're exactly right. What was happening right now um, in in the in the Jacob Butterling was um, by this time it had become national, and there was so this was something that later I watched a and I I, I don't know I don't know if it's a documentary you can find anymore I think it was done by one of the local news stations my mother was obsessed with the case obviously and there was a um uh there was like a local investigation into it and basically what they had started to say was was that by bringing it to national focus it actually reversed what they thought was going to be helpful because by this time they were getting something along the lines of um, some days up to a hundred thousand tips in a day revolving around this. So they were chasing and going after a lot of wild goose chases. Um, I believe at this point too, um, there had already been like, like psychics were reaching out to people uh, were reaching out to law enforcement saying they, they saw them and this and that. And um, I don't like to speak ill of the family, but um um, the, the, the Wetterlings were absolutely beside themselves and were literally chasing every single lead that were coming their way and it took their toll on the family. So yeah, at this point, as far as we knew what was going on, it was cold, um, things had slowed down, but really behind the scenes, what was going on was it was fucking chaos. 
Oh, yeah. They were getting somebody saw Jacob with somebody here in like Arizona and like just they had so many tips. It just it's uh, basically flooded law enforcement. There's just too much information. A lot of it wasn't there was nothing to it. It was just Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's people with too much time in their hands, maybe some mental illness going on or just people just being kind of assholes. But I I think it was a combination of that. And there was a ridiculous reward at this point. I think it was, it was six. uh, Well, I mean, uh, the businesses and things like this, and people were pooling in things. And I think the overall total reward, um, Joe was actually seven figures for information leading to uh, leading to either finding Jacob or finding his abductor. So I think you had a lot of um, people that were just like, I'm going to throw something out here because maybe, maybe it will stick and I'll get some money. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, this is kind of going on in our background. Like we talked about last episode, you know, our parents and everything, you know, they're just shooting their, uh, you know, their theories, but now we're hearing, you know, these things started trickling out of law enforcement to the general populace. So we're, and we're hearing about these, you know, these clues and theories, which were just red herrings. Mm-hmm. And speaking of red herrings, that's going to get us into this episode because uh, our first episode, Cooper's Dream, has a lot of red herrings in it. A ton, a ton of red herrings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get, to, so let's just kind of kick it off because it starts off a lot, a lot similar, uh, I believe it was like, Two episodes ago where Cooper goes to breakfast, only this time he he has he's like Paul here, he has not had a lot of sleep. Yeah, because uh, the Icelanders yeah. showed up. The Icelanders have the Icelanders have entered the building. The Icelanders. So yeah, the the the, the episode actually opens with and this is where I again we had talked a little bit about this. There's always this theory among fans for years after the show ended and before we got the return of was Diane real? Was that just the name of the tape recorder? This and that. And this is where he asked Diane, send me the earplugs. I didn't think I was going to need them. Send me the earplugs. And I'm going, this is a real person he's talking to. Like, how did this theory come up that Diane wasn't a real person? He's asking for field equipment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I believe in the pilot, he was like reporting like what is lunch at the Lamplighter Inn cost, which... I mean, somebody's got to report that because it's. I'm guessing that's like an expense thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I never bought that whole uh, Diane. Uh, to me, the joke was you never saw Diane. She was like the stupid, like the neighbor on uh, what was it, Home Improvement. You kind of saw his f- eyes, but you never saw his whole face. That sort of thing. Thinking, it's I was just like Vera from Cheers. Yeah, Vera from Cheers too. Exactly. Yep. It's just yep. You She's never talked see about. Her. You never see her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like this sort of thing, you know, it just adds a mystery. But, like, you know, for a show that I'm going to even say it at this point, it's starting, the cast is getting a little bloated. <laughs> it it, it this is. this episode, but it does, mm-hmm. and especially next season, it's just so many, so many people to remember. And this is a show that maybe wants to start bloating up, maybe should have started trimming the fat a bit. <laughs> So I will say that this episode, speaking of the uh, speaking of being bloated and everything of that, this episode itself was actually solo written by Frost, by Mark Frost. And 
it probably it shows because it's one of the more interesting episodes. It is. It is one of the more uh, interesting episodes, and you see more. Like I said, you see that split between Frost and Lynch, and while they don't really get into a lot of the directing style I have felt of Lynch, this is one of the more interesting episodes that starts really diving into the mythos of a lot of things. Um, next to episode three. Um, this is one of my other favorite episodes of the season, and I really feel like if you're to make this a movie, you could have gone right from episode three right to this episode, right to the finale, and really, you saw the arc of what this season is. Do you agree? Disagree? Oh, absolutely. This is uh, with Frost writing; it's more focused. Uh, people have to remember him and Frost and Lynch. They're the only ones who really knew where the show was going. Uh, they, you know, they've said it before. They knew who the killer was and they've had, they had things plotted out that after the reveal, you know, obviously it just went sideways cause they both kind of just walked away. But this, this episode, especially just, it's a lot more focused. It's a lot more fast paced. It has a lot more going on than the last episodes we watched, which was so much CD and whatever. Plot. Oh, oh God. Yeah, yeah, and and the C the C plot in this episode, the C D B plot is there, but now it's in the background like it should be. Like this is a more balanced episode, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And so <clears throat> this episode, Cooper wants his uh, earplugs because the Icelanders the are, Icelanders have landed. They're drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this, ep- this show really put out a stereotype that Icelanders are drunkards. <laughs> oh, hard, hardcore. And they make mention that it's going to be days. Cooper makes the comment about it's going to be days where his, um, uh, tell his, uh, their, their biological clocks get, get, get back in the sink and he's going, shit, this sucks. <laughs> and Audrey shows up and is going to tell him that, that she works, that she got a job at the department store. He's not really paying attention because he's on edge, but, this goes back to that idea that they were going to get early on um, Audrey and Cooper together. Oh, uh, it's palpable here too, man. Her F me eyes. Yes. And and again, she's supposed to be in high school. She's 18. They established says, she's 18 in this episode too. Yes, to set the groundwork. And he's like, I'll see you later then, Audrey. Like, oh, she's legal. I can be with this. So they they set this groundwork for this relationship between Dale and Audrey. Very, very, I mean, this is stereotypical, simple writing 101. You know exactly where this is going. There, there, there's not even a foreshadowing. This is hitting you over the head. Exactly. It, so that's, that's why it becomes even more baffling when nothing comes of it <laughs> right right it just goes against all our in you know our ingrained notion of storytelling it's just kind of all right <laughs> yep yep absolutely so then uh, get some of this b plot the norwegians uh jerry horns brought them over to sign the papers again this is Helba. the first how about she gave him she gave a leg a lamb yeah, wasn't, wasn't Jerry always bringing Van Horn food too? Did you, <laughs> you notice that? Yes, a common theme. Like, dear Lord. And and he's yes, he's in love with Helba, and or Heba. No, it's Helba. It's Helba. And uh, yeah, that's and she. It's so funny when they bring her in, um, and she has no. You can tell she has no interest in Jerry. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, they're doing that, and then um, uh, Leland shows up, and he's a wreck. Yeah, he's they, looking like how we all are right now. <laughs> oh, he is just. I mean, again, give props to to Ray Wise because he is playing the grieving father role so well. Absolutely, it's and uh, yeah, he's got the five o'clock shadow going. Uh, he wants to help out, and they're just kind of like, uh, you know, yep. yeah, maybe take a step back, Leland. Uh, you know, you look like ass. Work from home for a while. Get out of here because yeah. they're worried about him fucking up everything because he's just not right. Despite the fact that this is a highly flawed business deal from the start, maybe having a lawyer be like, hey, you guys can't uh, develop land that isn't yours yet. You know, and, and, and later in, in the second season, when, when, when uh, he gets his faculties back a bit more, you see that he was a really actually cunning lawyer. And he comes up with some ideas and does things. And he was, you know, you start to see that he was involved in some of the shadiness that they were all doing. You see this other side of um, of of Leland. Um, well, you in, definitely in see another side of Leland. All you right. definitely see another side of Leland. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's kind of odd that they wouldn't want a lawyer involved in some of these things because these guys are dipshits. So apparently Cooper went home to sleep or went back to the, um, the, the lodge to sleep. And then everyone's still there. The, the scene where they're going through the 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 back of the apartment and they all head back to Jacques' apartment um and they're all eating donuts with their rubber gloves yes <laughs> oh boy it, it's a crime it, it's a potential you know they're investigating they have a warrant like i don't think you want to be stomping like uh you know powdered sugar all over the place it's, eat, eat know, the donuts outside everybody so you know I, i'm watching with my wife my wife you know she does social work and she has to wear these gloves and things and She's just like, nobody does that. Like, like your your hands are contaminated from all this stuff. Then you're going to pick up, you're going to leave the same gloves on, you're going to eat, and then you're going to start going through stuff. And then the, the funny part is, is then everyone has these gloves, but then Hawk shows up, and Hawk has nothing. If you looked at his hands, Hawk had no gloves. And he's just kind of going through the crime scene, like, no glove Hawk. And you're going, God damn it, Hawk, No. Yeah, I don't know if I'm more concerned about Hawk not having gloves or the others, like, contaminating their bodies with the gloves. Oh, my God. Well, there's sugar on everything. Well, fuck, you know? <laughs> yeah. But so they they do find this. See, this is back when, you know, uh, we had the physical media of pornography. Yes. So you actually had to hide these suckers. Mm-hmm. And they yeah, find I, a... I'll tell you a quick story here. I remember when my hustler got found by my mother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I remember when that happened to me as well. It's a, it's it's a very embarrassing day. and imagine Jock's embarrassment to having the FBI find his stash. Right, right. So yeah, so go on. They they yeah, they're going through and they find I think it's up in the up in the lights. Yes. Um, or maybe it's like one of those ceilings where you you can kind of push up. And there's like, you know, whatever you can hide stuff up in the parts or partisans or whatever in the ceiling. And they find a copy of Flesh World and Flesh World is it's not a typical. Well, I guess back in the day it was also used for, you know, uh, city pages used to do this. Yes. Like where you would uh, 
find like you know misconnections or whatever or basically if you're searching for an escort or something you just call a number from a back of these these cd kind of magazines and uh they find two things one is a is a photo of a bearded guy in lingerie which i want to know this guy's story <laughs> i want to know why Jacques has a photo of it hey man <laughs> i'm not kink shaming Jacques. Jock, all right. <laughs> that is freak flag fr- flag fly, man. Like all the power to him. If that's what he likes, that's what he likes. But they also <laughs> they also find Leo's truck is in a photo in the magazine. So this okay. So I wanted to bring this up because this is something that that clicked with me watching it in this episode and kind of you know, as we've been digging into it every two episodes and really kind of trying to fine-tune this a little bit more. This goes to show, and when I found out that Frost wrote this, I wasn't shocked. I was like, this makes sense. Because this is back to season, you know, pilot um, Cooper, where he's looking at one thing, and he's not even paying attention to to the photo. And it's like Galva's peripheral, and he goes, by the way, did you guys notice that's Leo's truck? And they all kind of look over there, and they're like, oh... And, you know, then he finds the the curtains like this is his deductive power. And I feel like this is something that, as again, what you brought up and kind of I'm putting pieces together as we've done this podcast, that because other people weren't allowed to use the Red Room and do things like this, the other writers were their hands were a bit tied as to what Cooper could solve and what links he could make in each episode um, so I think this is where we're getting that weird uh, dynamic or um, or dichotomy of where in some episodes Cooper's really aloof and not solving anything, and the next thing he's fucking super trooper um, because he the 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 things that he notices in the background of photos and does all these things, this is total pilot level and episode three level of intellect um, Cooper. Yes, he is uh, actually doing actual uh, investigative work and not just figuring out who's banging who. <laughs> right, right. Although I'm pretty sure he pieced out that Jacques banged the guy in the in the in the, with the beard. Uh, yeah, I think we all did, and all the power to Jacques, man. All get it done. Get him. it done. You know, I, I, my question is, who's the bottom? Uh, so, <laughs> spoiler: it's probably Jacques. Um, <laughs> so, so then they go. <laughs> I totally threw you off there. So the other thing is, like, he opens up and they they do these shots, and there's a couple of times, and uh, this must be something that 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 the director in this one, who was um Leslie um Gladder, she does a couple of shots two times in this episode where they do the kind of the the stand by me face. You know what I'm talking about? It was very much in the 80s, this style of where you have the, the 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 way the people lined up in the camera so you could get a picture of everyone. Because I remember that when they did the cabinet and then you see Cooper, you see um, Harry, and you see Hawk. And they're all kind of in that perfect line, that, that symmetry. You know what yeah, I'm talking about? Yeah, but don't forget Doc Hayward's in there for going back to the whole, we're going to have random people with us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. For some reason, Doc Hayward is uh, across the border to help them out. Don't understand why randomness. But yes, I completely agree with you on that. Um, 
yeah, so there's a lot of things they find there. They 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 find the bird. They they hey, that's our Waldo. They see Laura. You know, you see the picture of of the neck, and he's like, "Do you recognize that?" And they're like, "No." And he's like, "That's Laura Palmer in that photo." And they're all like, "Oh." And again, there's this tiny little photo that's in a cabinet. And Cooper sees the um, the red drapes, and he knows he needs to go because of his dream. And that they need to go find this cabin that Jacques is paying a ridiculous amount, like getting tons or like 50 gallons of gas for this cabin. What the fuck? Yeah. Well, uh, I think some that, that might be alluding to some of that gas is go, also going to maybe the burning down the mill. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Well, cause yeah. Cause you know, you got two big gas cans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. comically large gas cans comically when, large when gas. we see them like that really just stood out to me <laughs> yes so um i don't know where do you want to go do you want to go into the b plots or do you want to just stay with this and then cut back to the b plots uh there's uh i mean these kind of uh let's see let's just continue with this line because then they we can kind of tackle that because a lot of this stuff really doesn't matter a whole lot except mm-hmm. for maybe audrey's audrey would be the one but we can just touch back on that when we go back but so they get this uh they, you know they go on a trip in the woods mm-hmm. uh, and uh it's uh harry uh cooper uh hawk, hawk. and Doc Hayward for some reason. Why is it not Andy? Why is it not Andy? Andy has to go and check on Leo. That's that's part of that uh, yes. plot nonsense. Oh, I know why. I know why it is. Because Frost wrote this episode and Doc Hayward's his dad. Okay, I yes, get it. Lord Frost. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, I get it. So so they're in the, this is like actually one of my favorite moments is when so they come across the cab and Hawk is you know, he's tracking because that's what he did. And then Secret History, we learned he was a tracker in Vietnam yep. as well. So he's really good at tracking people. It's, you know, it, it I don't think it's playing uh, Native American. It might have been, but I think Frost rewrote his history. So it doesn't seem like it was kind of a racist stereotype. So like, I agree. Hawk was a tracker in Vietnam. So that's why he's good at this. And they come across the log lady's cabin. <laughs> And she is upset with them. Oh, she's so mad at them because they're late. Two days late. <laughs> Two days late. They were supposed to be there already, which is, there's so much to unpack on that. What is that? She is so attuned to what's going on in those woods and, you know, the lodges. I mean, we, we'll probably do an episode on secret history, which I'm actually rereading right now. Good. I'm Just doing the so same we- thing. But um, Margaret Lanterman, it was part of a, she disappeared as a child for numerous days. Mm-hmm. Uh, log lady's name is Margaret Lanterman. Uh, she, she, when she was found, she had uh, these kind of burn marks on her body that uh, are, these symbols are very uh, important, especially in the mythology of Twin Peaks. Yes, I believe hers looked just like the 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 two mountains mm-hmm. type thing. Uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, if you're rereading Secret History, there's a lot of 
Frost used a lot of cool. He he borrows heavily symbolisms from from masonry because they yes have lot, he does a lot of cool symbols that are like you know they're mysterious. So they th- this is by design. But Log Lady, she's been expecting them, and she has tea, and uh, what was it? She she didn't have cake though. She made sure they she did not have cake. cake. Yep, I think she had like cookies. Cookies. She had cookies. She had cookies for them. She was. I don't know what's up with her with that cake, but she was pretty adamant she's not baking a cake for these fuckers. <laughs> Because it get all over the get all over the second log of the cabin that they find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is the part where she makes um, Cooper at talk to the finally talk to her log, which I love because he he goes full in like where he is apprehensive. I think in the pilot because he was still adjusting to these these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he his dream has him going full full forward. I mean, uh, I mean, we're this is gonna be spoiler heavy all throughout these podcasts, but you know he's he's blue rose. Yes. FBI, so he's got he's kind of expected to embrace the supernatural. Yeah, and and I think this is a great time to really bring up what is the Blue Rose Supernatural because um, I think it goes to show because in the first one he was odd. And again, knowing what we know and how they kind of retcon things and change things around in the secret history and the books and things like that, it is a bit odd to me that he would have been apprehensive in the first place. But yes, in this one he is all in on that. So essentially the, 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 the Blue Rose um, version of the FBI, they're looking at the things that the conspiracies, the supernatural, the alien. Um, They're basically X-Files type thing. Mm-hmm. Not officially sanctioned by the FBI, which is another thing we learned. They're yep. kind of like on the down low, which is interesting. But this came out of uh, a very real program called Project Blue Book. <laughs> Project Blue Book, yeah, that's a very real program, um, and I'll I'll dig into a little bit about Project Blue Book um, because I'm actually a huge fan of, of 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 what Project Blue Book was, kind of the conspiracy theory behind that. Um, so basically, what it was was it was it was started in 1952, and it was. Um, and it was the order. It was eventually ended, officially ended in 1969. But the idea behind it was there was this. It was this secret program um, that was being uh, documented by the Air Force, and they were going around doing everything on UFO studies, basically from um, uh, 1952, but going back to previous studies that they had all the way up to the 70s. And by the time they were done. They had collected over 12,000 UFO reports and um, they had, you know, all of them that they include that almost all of them were misidentifications of natural phenomenon. But there were things in there that they couldn't and even to this day um, are still classified as unexplained and they have no information on it. Project Blue Book was actually considered a conspiracy theory um, until under the Freedom of Information Act that came about, it it was released, and it is of was a very real thing. Yes, and 
Blue Rose grow up, grew out of that. And Blue Rose is fictional. This is not a real. Correct. As far as we know, this is made up by whole cloth by Lynch and Frost. But it's cool because they kind of they go off of it. The Blue Rose is like it's less UFO, less sci-fi, and it's more attuned into like parallel dimensions. Is what they're kind of more investigating into. At least that's mm-hmm. what I've gleaned from the final dossier. This secret history and and the return yes it's all going to deal with this it, it goes in that but it also i kind of felt covered a spectrum of more of the supernatural mysticism magical uh, ghosts that type of thing um i kind of felt it encompassed a lot of things but yes it eventually leaned heavily because in the mythology they discovered these parallel dimensions were really the culprit of a lot of these things. Yes, and hence why Cooper is, he's attuned to what Margaret's talking about, because I'm a, if we go by Firewalk with me, he he sees some pretty messed up things in the Philadelphia office. That, uh-huh. you know, uh, so he's, he's taking this in, like, He's not discounting it. We don't know what he believes, what he doesn't. We're not really told that, but he's talking to the log. And the log through Margaret tells us the events of that night, uh, the night Laura died. And it corroborates a lot of the things they already knew that were not released to the general public. Yes. Yes. And this is one of those scenes when she does that talk. This is one of those scenes where I get goosebumps because I, she was so good. At, at playing that character and you, you believe her in when she's saying these things through the log yes and uh it added a, this like you said the thread from episode three to here you know a lot of that stuff in between it helps but this was like this is the logical next step in the show mm-hmm. this episode is yep. especially the mythology with the stuff that the mysticism that the show was the magic of this show in my mind is like the surreal and i mean honestly when i first got into reading the secret history i was like oh god please don't make this about ufos (laughs) (laughs) and but they don't it doesn't it's these uh entities are a whole other thing whole other thing whole (laughs) other thing whole other thing yeah ufos are there but that's beside the point (laughs) which is an odd thing to say but it's it's goddamn Twin Peaks. <laughs> it is goddamn Twin Peaks. And I do feel like, you know, I because, I, again, um, Frost is a history guy. So I think he draw the natural conclusion of how do I get from something and from, like, you know, Project Blue Book to the Blue Rose. And I think that's why in the beginning there is there is some alien stuff in there, but it's dismissed right away as these things. And it's so good. Yeah, um, like, later on we'll talk about it, especially with, because uh, uh, Major Briggs... He's there on Project Blue Book investigation, so it's kind of it's splintered between the military and the FBI. Mm-hmm. They end up kind of finding that they're both chasing the same thing, because we'll find out in season two that Major Briggs comes across something from their satellites that doesn't come from the the cosmos, but it comes from within. <laughs> yep, and interestingly enough, since we're giving away spoilers a little bit, um, if you read the, the the secret history and 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 the dossier. You get you learn that Cooper unknowingly was supposed to be kind of the replacement of 
of um, uh, of Major Briggs in that area. That yes. he was going to be groomed to be the next guy to kind of watch over what is what was Twin Peaks. Yes, he was. Uh, it was a dual purpose for him going to Twin Peaks. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if Cooper. I don't remember if Cooper knew that going in, or if that was just a Gordon Cole plan. I'm I think guessing... it was from what I gathered from the book. I felt it was a Gordon Cole plan that that yeah. that, that Cooper didn't really know, but that Cooper would find out. Yeah, and the final dossier kind of fills in the blanks. I think it might have been secret history that Cooper. He was there for the express purpose of, of taking it over, but unbeknownst to him at this point, uh, Co- Gordon Cole, Gordon Cole plays a big role in secret history as a behind the scenes guy. And he wanted to kind of marry these two things together. Correct. But we're getting wildly off track. <laughs> we are. My apologies. We are. So, so they get, they go on their way to Jock's cabin. And- yes. And they're there. There's that shot again where you have all four of them. But hold on. Before yep. they get to the cabin, Paul, there's music in the air. There, Yes. Yes, you can hear the music. And this is the thing I wanted to bring up, too, because I knew we were gonna, we were, I wanted to talk about Julie Cruz. In yes. This, and her I, frayed relationship with David Lynch. Oh, God. Julie Cruz, man. You know. That voice. That earth. That surreal, earthreal, however you pronounce it, voice just gets me, man. Holy yes. Shit. Ethereal. That, that ethereal voice. And it was, you know, this was something where you see her later because she's singing. And in, in later episodes, you actually see her. And her, what she looks like does not match her voice at all. And I think that was probably <laughs> her downfall um, as we got into the age of videos and things of that nature. How she did not have a better music career is beyond me because she has an amazing voice and she does a lot of the songs. Um, and yeah, so you hear Julie Cruz's voice in the air and let's talk a little bit before we get into there and get into that and where this music is coming from. They're all hanging out there and you can hear this music playing. Um, talk about the the frayed relationship between um, Julie Cruz and, and Lynch because they were big time collaborators mus- uh, musically. David Lynch has done a lot of collaborations musically, and it always seems like that all of his relationships get frayed. Uh, the frayed came, uh, I believe, in the second season when she sings in the Roadhouse and the songs she contributed to the soundtrack. She was not happy that Lynch demanded that he write the lyrics. Mm. But the lyrics are important in those songs because they do offer clues to what's going on. It wasn't just Lynch being a jerk, it's just it was by design but you know she's a creative person she wanted more control i mean i think he also had angelo uh do the music and yes, i think he did. Her, the fact that she lost control of her music really frayed and then it happened to so this was this took like decades for them to you know bury the hatchet and then it happens again in the return oh god because <laughs> her song is cut short in the roadhouse part at the end of the penultimate episode. Oh, I didn't know that. Is, uh, episode 17 leading in yeah. eight has Julie Cruz singing as the world spins or something, I believe is the name of the song. And Lynch edited it down for time. Oh <laughs> no. She, she went on Facebook and just 
lost her shit again because he he's messing with her art. Oh no! Oh no. yeah. So uh, you, if you won't, yeah, I don't think she's the biggest Lynch fan, even though her art's always going to be synonymous with Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah. So it's been a, a frayed relationship between those two, to say the least. Oh Christ! Oh Lynch, that sucks. So bad. Because, yeah, I mean, outside of Twin Peaks, I've looked for Julie Cruz because I, I really like what she did. I mean, there was a period there where I had the, the, the Twin Peaks soundtracks with all of her songs on it. And I think a few that were inspired. And um, there's not much that she's done musically outside of Twin Peaks. Um, it's 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 a hard find to, to get. Um, so, yeah, so they're all standing out there and they, they, they hear the music and they think someone's in there. So then again, you, you get that shot where it's all four of them. Again, every time I see it, it reminds me of Stand By Me or like yeah. a Western or it's that, you know, it's that it's just that slightly off edge where the camera's still and everyone has their face. Looks so like it might be a profile. Beatles album cover. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. And I don't know if I like that shot or not. It's supposed to be iconic, but I feel like it's overused and everything. So whenever I see it, I kind of giggle to myself. Oh, they pulled that shot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I like it, but it it, it it's corny as shit. <laughs> it, it it is, it is. So they 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 go inside. They're expecting to find someone, and there's a record that's on repeat. And as Cooper takes it off, what does he say, Joe? I forget. <laughs> what does oh, he say? Yo, he he says, and music is always yes, in the... that's yep. right. He does. Uh, he says music's always in the air. Yep. And uh, the red curtains, and uh, oh yeah, this is. There's blood on the floor. There's film in a camera. There's so many red herrings here. The I mean the red the music in the air part. The red curtains are huge uh, red herrings. Uh, these are huge clues, uh, as we see in Firewalk with Me. Laura was there the night she died. Yep. Uh, that blood on the floor, I believe, is probably hers. And I just kind of want to, like, kind of blend these two parts here because we're going to glance over it. But uh, Maddie Ferguson, in this, I think it's in this episode, she, she's talking about Laura. She, thinks, she says, like, I think I knew her better mm -hmm. than anybody else. And Lauren, like, I in the red room says, I think I know her, but sometimes my arms bend back. Yes. And this is my cousin. Doesn't she look exactly like Laura Palmer? So that's another red herring I picked up watching this. Mm -hmm. A lot of the clues that were given the Cooper's dreams are, are resolved in this episode in terms of, you know, if you're, as you look at it, you go, okay, these were the clues. This is the episode where the clues are kind of coming in the, in the play a big time. Um, and um, they there's they they find the the the, the cuckoo clock um, filled with the chips, and one of them drops out, and it's got the piece. It's they're like that's this is what it is. Um, and the blood was a mixture of Laura's and Jacques, because I believe okay. Jacques was shot in in the, if I remember correctly, Jacques was shot in the in the cabin, not outside. What I I don't know if Jock was shot. He was in fire walk with me. He walks outside to pee. Oh That's yeah. When, uh, 
spoiler, Leland hits him over the head. <laughs> yep. Yep. Spoiler. If we haven't you haven't figured it out by now, you 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 know who you know who Bob it's, is. It's just been thirty years. Who? Yeah. Uh. Oh, and like, because we're gonna put this out before it happens this week. Kyle McLaughlin is doing a live, uh, tweeting thing of a uh, an episode of Twin Peaks. Yes. On Wednesday, uh, 1.30 Pacific Central, which I believe is about 4.30 here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to trip. Well, shit, I got to work, but uh, everybody else, go ahead. It's It'll probably be pretty interesting. Uh, uh, Shelly will probably be his secret guest based off the clue he gave. Oh, really? Okay, cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that are retcon because – Again, it is yeah. I think you're right now that you mentioned it that he that he wasn't shot, and so I don't know where the blood from his shirt came from. Um, and uh, there's just there's a lot of inconsistencies between what you find in Firewalk with Me, which Firewalk with Me is the prequel leading up to the death of Laura Palmer, and the this whole scene of them being in this cabin is is portrayed, but it's very different than what they explained what happened in the in the show. Um, and uh, yeah, so they and then they find Waldo. They find the, the, the that's almost dead from dehydration <laughs> and starvation. Um, so everything's kind of leading to like the big red herring here is is that Leo is the one that killed Laura Palmer. Yes, that they're heavily leaning toward that, and I mean, all the evidence is pointing at him. I mean, I believe everybody probably thought this when it first aired. I don't remember what my theory was. I was a little kid. I just remember watching it. I don't think I even cared who killed Laura Palmer. I just, I love the show. Uh, yeah, all signs are pointing to Leo and Jacques. Yes. Now, I know, and I, I remember, I remember um, watching it, and I told you earlier in, in the earlier po- uh, podcast that my sister tried to ruin it for me and was like, well, everyone knows Leo did it. And so I kind of felt the that Japanese Leo was version of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever it was, the international the foreign no, it was the French version. It was the French version is what she said. <laughs> and I know, right? And I, you know, I I was even at that point, I I was really in the starting to really get in the the films and reading and books and things like that and foreshadowing and and my, I watched a lot of mysteries with my mom. My mom was um very avid watcher of um the Sherlock Holmes movies that were out with um uh, from from Razzle Bathbone, uh, Rathbone back in the day, and the Charlie Chans, so I immediately felt that Leo wasn't it; that this was just what they were trying to get us to do. And my, me and my mom would talk about it, and we're like, "There's no way it's Leo; it's got to be someone else," and because it would just be too simple if it was Leo. Um, so yeah, so as all roads are leading to Leo, which is this is a good point, I think, to switch to the B plot. Yeah, uh, we'll probably go. A little fast through this, just because. Yes. But I don't. Again, the B plot. There's yes, some, gonna, I enjoy uh, watching it. I don't like talking about it. I agree. I agree. Um, so, so Shelly is uh, Shelly and Bobby are continuing their cockamamie scheme to set Leo up as the murderer. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess you really don't need to be throwing red herrings to the police since he's probably suspect number one right now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They have no clue what's going on. Uh, Andy, you know, they they're having their 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 gun foreplay again. Andy shows up and is like, 
you know, you know, they're lying about where they've seen Leo, which is stupid because if they had just told them that hey, Leo tried to kill me, they could have gotten they could have yeah. gotten Shelly some help, and they already wanted Leo, which is stupid. Yeah, uh, Leo tried to kill me, and by the way, here's this really bloody shirt he had from the night Laura Palmer was killed. Right, right. They're just they're idiotic. Um, Leo is is watching from the house because he wants to figure out who she's fucking. Is pissed off that it's Bobby. You also find out that Hank um, Hank's a red herring in this one as well because as uh, Maddie. Um, uh, uh, James and um, Donna are talking. They kind of cut to Leo. He was, he was. I mean, they cut to Hank in the diner because he was listening to their conversation. Um, but nothing really comes of that, from what I recall. Nothing. No, just, no. It's it was just, just him. It He's was just, just him. They're like, Hank's a doofus. You know, yes. Hank's Hank's a doofus. But then you find out um, in in these next in, in within these two episodes that he's in charge of fucking Leo and is pissed off at Leo. Yeah. Um, because... Leo was supposed to run the operation while he was in prison, uh, i.e. the drugs with the mm-hmm. Renaults, not take it completely over and ice him out. Oh, shit, Joe. You know what? We're getting shit confused here. When 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 Andy came and talked to talk to, um, talk Shelley? to Shelly, she hadn't shot him yet. She shot him that night. Yeah, she shoots him later on. Yeah, she shoots yeah. him later on. Yes, yeah, so fuck, yeah, that's my fault. When he comes back and uh, he's pissed... He's pissed because Hank beat him up, and um, uh, and he knows that she's sleeping with his cousin. Yeah, yes. But, yeah, so yeah, that happens. Uh, she shoots him. That's the cliffhanger ending in a sense. There's two cliffhanger endings to this episode. One is Leo gets shot, makes the weirdest noise in the world, and runs. <laughs> <laughs> and the other the other cliffhanger is Audrey's naked in Cooper's room. Yes. Uh, the only other thing I really want to talk about in this episode um, uh, um, is that um, um, Bobby goes and sees Dr. Jacoby. Yes. And the family does. The Briggs the family story. does. Yes, yes, yes. They're going to family counseling. And it's so funny. Well, I want to, you know, eventually he shoes out the parents. And they're like, well, I thought this was family counseling. And I'm going to have to see all of you individually. But I want to talk to Bobby right now. Fair enough. And they get up and walk out like no big deal. <laughs> And what follows should have gotten Jacoby disbarred, like, right away. Right away. This, he tears Bobby down with all the private details that he knows about their sex life and their relationship. Apparently Bobby's a crier after sex. Bobby (laughs) cries after sex. Poor Bobby. And, yeah. It's a thing. I've known people who are like that. It just it's fucking weird, but whatever. And, and what is Bobby and, and and but Jacoby brought up something that I missed all these years, Joe. He asked him, Do you ever kill a man? Do you ever kill somebody, Bobby? He asked him that. Holy shit, that's right, he does. He does. Because he knows about the cop. It was about the cop. That could he should be reporting these crimes. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Like, like I, I, it's just a throwaway line right now. But when you see Fire Walk with me, it is, you fucking catch it. Yeah. 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 Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So Bobby has a mental break where he actually kind of throws Laura under the bus for him selling drugs. She made oh. him do it. Like. 
Dude, man, that's not a good luck on you. Blaming your dead ex-girlfriend for your problems. Yeah, she wanted me to sell drugs, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, but they go on this whole thing about how she was a corrupter and whatnot. So, yeah, I wanted to bring that because I thought that was super interesting. Um, One more thing I want to bring up this episode is uh, the crow. The crow that flies out and sees uh, Cooper and everybody investigating the uh, Jacques uh, cat. Yes. Which is a yes. very, like, the, as we brought up, owls are used a lot by the mm-hmm. lodge entities. This also seems to affirm that uh, Brandon Lee's watching them as well. <laughs> Actually, I think it was the giant. The giant? That would I make sense. It, I think, I thought it was the giant. Knowing what I know, I think it's the giant watching them. Yep. Because not, after not this, Brandon Lee's trying to find Fun Boy. <laughs> Dude, I, I love that movie. I do too. It's so it's so great. Yeah, and, and the, the use of the crow. But yes, yeah, yeah. I I do I do because everything goes dark, and then what happens right away at the beginning of season two is the giant shows up. So I think that that's what it was, or at least was a member of the of the White Lodge that was keeping a track of them trying to solve this. Uh, yeah. That's what I think. I, I would agree. Uh, we see we the giant is the only one we see in the Black Lodge and then the other lodge in the return that could be the White Lodge. Who knows? Uh, that's definitely up to debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I think you and I do have differing ideas on what that is. So I want to wait till we get to that point. Yeah. Um, the other so- thing here is uh, we find out Josie and Ben... This is when the the C plot starts getting so convoluted. It's hard. It was hard for me to even follow the logic. It's Josie and Ben are in cahoots, and Josie gives Ben the Catherine's cooked book. Yes, against cooked book that would have no impact whatsoever on the Ghostwood deal. I, it's I, I yeah, and, and and when she finds out that the book is gone, she freaks out and it's fucking stupid. Um, and yeah, the the the. The um, it, it it doesn't make any sense why he's why he's working with all three. Um, it's really really fucked up. Um, and I it, it I, I don't I as a business person I I even I get lost as to what of what Ben Horn's reasoning of it was. Um, you know it's kind of like in uh, in Lethal Weapon two when Leo Getz is trying to explain to um. Danny Glover and uh, Mel Gibson about fucking money laundering and they're all just going over their head and they're like, I don't understand why you fucking do it that way. And he's like, ah, it works, it works, it works. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel like this is what this is what this is what's going on in Ben Horn. No, no, trust me, trust me. This plan has to work because it's so convoluted. I'm starting uh, to suspect old uh, Ben Horn is a graduate from Trump University. <laughs> done. Sold. <laughs> so <laughs> So the cliffhanger of where getting in the next episode, um, he finds a naked Audrey, Audrey Horn, and he can't be with her because of of the uh, of his position. But you could, but he admits he has feelings for her. And again, the fuck me eyes between the two of them are there. My God, the 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 um, willpower that is um, Agent Cooper is unreal. Yes. Uh, No shit, man. Like, yeah, he's uh, he's a bigger man than me. Uh, 
bigger <laughs> man than both of us, dude. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he uh, he goes and gets some malts and fries, and he's there to be a friender, which is also a nice thing that, like, you know, he obviously cares for this woman, even though it he has these feelings and he has to fight those mm-hmm. because um, you know his position. Uh, her position as being a high school girl, even though it's she's 18, it's still eh. uh, <laughs> unless you know you're like Phil Spector or something, right? Uh, <laughs> right, right. Well, so then we also Roman Polanski, yeah, Roman Polanski. <laughs> well, I mean, this is consensual, yeah, that's true. All right, fair enough. All right, all right, bad analogy. <laughs> uh, uh, I kind of I'll glance over that there's like some B plot between yeah. Andy and Lucy, Andy, uh, she's upset with Andy. Uh, she has a call from her doctor. Surprise, she's pregnant. Uh, we don't get that until I think next season. Uh, next season, where it goes out of off the rails. Yeah. yeah, but I don't give a crap. But we have Waldo, our yeah. prime, our prime witness, where we find also, which is interesting considering how aligned he becomes with the lodges. Cooper does not like birds. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I have to agree. I have to agree with that. That I thought that was a bit odd. But that, it might be foreshadowing that he doesn't trust them. There's something inherently about them that he just does not trust, and that might be from his Blue Rose background. Could be very well. Could be, and something they're not giving away there. That because because maybe that this is what these entities use as their eyes to being able to move miles or areas or scan things that maybe he knows those types of things. That makes sense to me. Um, and then, but so they, uh, Doc Hayward, bless this man, he's nursing this poor bird back to health, just loving every minute of it. Like, I, Warren Frost, man, I love (laughs) this show. He's just such, like, he's like one of those, like, character actors I love when I saw him in anything, and especially as a Seinfeld fan, him being, uh, the father of George Costanza's fiance, Mm -hmm. along with Grace Zabriskie. is the mom yes he just has this warmth to him where he he cares even about this this poor bird that Jacques has dehydrated and he's feeding it and he's getting it back to health and Cooper puts a voice activated tape recorder so the bird does talk because we learned it mimics it might it might be it might echo clues because what the birds do is they recite things they've heard overheard uh not sure how technical this is in real life, but I'm no, buying, buying yep. it in the show. Yes, I'm, I'm all it's in. the minor bird is considered um, in the show that they have an amazing ability to mimic speech. So they want to get it right because it might be able to mimic something that I heard that night. That is the idea. I'm in because I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm in. And, um, uh, so, but on top of this. Cooper wants the Bookhouse Boys to get in some in- violating international law. <laughs> well, hang on here, because Cooper also requisitioned a ten thousand dollars from the FBI. So yeah. he also has a-, a crippling gambling addiction, crosses borders, <laughs> <laughs> damn near and, nails an eighteen-year-old high school girl. Like, and and what did he say? <laughs> he says something on the lines of "Make sure we win," because I always like to give a little extra back to the bureau. Um, getting to these to these to these C plots and these B plots a little bit, I want to point out that this episode was written once again by Harley Payton, who 
did a lot in the second season and did a did the 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 some of the ones from last from our last podcast where it's really heavy on the CB uh, D plots. Um, interestingly, Peyton themselves found that they had they had a very uh, difficult time writing for Cooper. Felt that he was he just he had a really hard time writing a character that had such a the the those characteristics that he knows and even you know says I didn't write Cooper in the episodes I did very well or how I could have because I had a hard time writing him so I focused on some of the other characters that I liked more uh, <laughs> maybe hire better writers then man <laughs> yeah like yeah. I, no no I mean the guy got the job or whatever and but yeah this episode kind of shows I mean Cooper kind of uh I mean, again, he's he went from a sharp detective in the last episode to a degenerate gambler <laughs> in this one who violates international law. Right. Bookhouse right. boys. <laughs> right, right, right. With the bookhouse boys. And yeah, like, let's, I'm going to drag these citizens into my international crimes. <laughs> right. 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 So, yeah. So uh, let's I do want to get the 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 B plot out of the way here. So you, you do have. um James, Donna, and um, Maddie, they found a tape um, in Laura's bedroom. Maddie found a, a tape in a hiding spot where Laura used to keep, we find used to keep her cigarettes. And everything on that tape leads to Jacoby, which is another red herring. Um, and um, they decide they're going to distract Jacoby by making her look like Laura. Um, and... Um, so yeah, it, there there's that whole aspect going on there. Do you want to add more to that one? Nope. Okay. <laughs> um, so Audrey, Audrey in this episode. Oh my god! Wow, she is conniving. First of all, she's really good at hiding at places, and apparently, smoke doesn't leave closets. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody smoked back then, so it's all over the. The eighties was a giant cloud of cigarettes. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. She's hiding in that dude's office in that dude's closet. She just lights up a cigarette, and watches, and I'm going, really? That's not very sneaky. Um, she's so yeah, they ended the job at the perfume counter. Uh, she blackmailed the manager to get the job and not to tell her father because that's where they're uh, dealing in. Uh, you know, human trafficking mm-hmm. of uh, high school girls. High school girls. <laughs> ben Horn. <laughs> yep, yep. Ben Horn from his own perfume, perfume, uh, perfume department is having a guy that looks like a third-rate fucking mob man um, <laughs> recruit girls to be um, whores at the at at the um, at One Eye Jacks. Yeah. Across the border. Across the border. Across the border. So now Ben Horn is involved in an international prostitution ring. Yeah, which, there's so many laws being broken in their show. <laughs> so many, so many things that like the FBI could have been nailing the entire town on. Um, all Cooper had to make was one fucking phone call, and the whole town would have gotten nailed for international you know, crime things. But instead, he decides to get the Bookhouse Boys, requisition ten grand from the FBI, and put uh, Ed Hurley in a wig. Uh, <laughs> a fantastic wig and a mustache, might I add. I so, love it. So funny, so funny. So um, it's 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 it's. I love it. I love it. And what does Cooper do? Nothing. He puts on glasses. He's like fucking Clark Kent. 
I'm going to car credit. I'm going to put on a tuxedo and some and some glasses. I'm not even going to change my hair. Uh, Here, Ed, look like an asshole. Here, Ed, look like an asshole. By the way, I'm just going to put on some glasses. I'm not even going to let my my stubble grow out or even change the way my hairstyle is. Um, so yeah, so so they do that, and um, um, Leo is 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 watching, is spying on the home, finds shot, out that it's shot in the arm. Yep, he's shot in the arm. Um, they start doing stupid shit, and he's about to fucking take out Briggs with a with a goddamn sniper rifle that he somehow had, and then finds out that there's a bird that 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 they got the mina bird, and he freaks out and leaves right away to go take care of this fucking mina bird that could turn him in. Which I mean, that would be a quite the step in law, like using the. A minor bird's testimony. <laughs> I mean, oh my god, it just creates more circumstantial evidence. But I mean, obviously, there's enough circumstantial at this point to already have Leo in jail. Oh, 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 yeah, we forgot that 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 when they go to do this thing to get Jacoby, Bobby is for whatever reason planting drugs on James to get back at James. Yeah, pulling for... the old Easy Rider trick. Yeah, pulling the old Easy Rider trick by putting bag of cocaine in the in the gas tank, and um. Is calls him in on it, and all because okay. So he's gonna be with Shelly. They're gonna get rid of Leo. He's gonna be with Shelly. What the fuck does he care about? What the fuck James is doing at this point with Donna? Because and, by the way, where's Snake during all this? <laughs> this is where the writing, especially this episode, and it, it really foreshadows the dip in quality in the second season and that they didn't know what to do with the rivalry between Bobby and James. Yeah. I think they should have just left it as is. I think we've all accepted it. We didn't need a callback to this, you know, what happened with Laura Palmer, uh, Bobby's obviously into Shelly at this point. Uh, He hasn't mentioned James once until this episode where he's like, I'll get Leo and James. And it's like, I'm like, why the fuck do you care about James? Well, like, and again, he he weren't you weren't fucking Donna. Mike was. Where's Snake and all this? Set up the rivalry between him and Snake. That I, I would buy that a little bit more. Like he's pissed because he's still running around with Donna. We haven't seen Mike. Did Mike leave town? What is Mike doing? I want to know. <laughs> well, he shows up in season two. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and one of the most uh, infuriating D. I don't even call this an F plot, but Mike. <laughs> oh God, with Nadine. Oh yeah. We'll get, we'll get to it. We'll but, get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so they're tricking Jacoby by uh using Maddie as bait, have her dress up like her cousin Laura, blonde wig and all. To get yep. Jacoby out of his house so they can break in and see what they can find snooping around his place. What they really want is she made one tape the night she died. That Jacoby still has. Yes, yes, and they well, and they believe that there's more tapes, so they want to find this these 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 tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah because of what she said in the in the thing, like, hey, you know, I'll send you another tape, and like, there's got to be more. Jacoby did this. So they um, have her holding up a newspaper of that day. Of that day, video, which is like, yeah, that's a nice little nod to a bygone era. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so. I mean, when you try to watch it now, it's so Scooby Doo anti chronism. It's it doesn't it just doesn't hold up. Um, so, um, then Audrey gets finds her way to One Eye Jacks. 
Yes, which uh, this is... Look, I've, my first crush growing up was Princess Leia. My second crush, <laughs> this show came, came at a time when I was, like, you know, growing up and, like, holy shit, Audrey. She uh, sneaks her she sneaks her way. Before she leaves, she leaves a note for Cooper. This comes in uh, next season. Yes. As another clue, because uh, she goes missing. Uh, Audrey is going to do investigative work at One-Eyed Jack's. Uh, she's really wanting to impress Agent Cooper. She wants to help him out, because she's really, you know, she's in love with him. It's She's a young woman, and she's smitten by Cooper. She wants to help him. Yep. Uh, by going into the flesh trade. An interesting <laughs> turn of events, but to <laughs> each her own. I'm going to become a whore. I'm going to become a, I'm going to become a prostitute. Show my love to you. An interesting way of going about it, huh? Well, and I think they kind of you know allude to the whole fact that she thinks this is a um, a spy movie type of thing. Like it shows her na- um, na- uh, naivety. Yeah, and she's she's often in her own world, which uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, now that I'm thinking of it is probably nail on the head of her role in the return. Yes, in her own world in her own head. In her own. Uh, head. Yeah, that just came to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talking Twin Peaks. Talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she goes to One Eyed Jacks. Uh, she conned her way. I mean, she found out like. The number, uh, she's smart. Like, I love yeah. how they, again, I love how Twin Peaks made strong, positive women characters in a time when this really wasn't the case. Absolutely. Still really isn't the case, which is, uh, it's sad because, you know, like, Audrey's such a re- really good character. And uh, even Catherine, for being, like, you know, basically this you know dubious woman another strong woman character like the show does it well the show does it very well i mean the fact that 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 she you know she was able to you know figure out that laura and um uh laura and um polanski worked at the perfume counter she got the job there she you know was doing the investigative work she oversees that she finds both their names on the on the private ledger she you know goes to the other person and says hey i lost my unicorn can you give me the number of who i'm supposed to call i mean she is so smart on how she gets gets her way in there yes it's so, very very brilliant so she gets in there she does uh this is the moment i uh Realized I liked girls, Paul, is when she did the cherry trick. She did the cherry trick. <laughs> That's when I became like, girls aren't smelly. No, girls are cool. No, she takes the um, she takes the the, the cherry stem and puts it in a knot. Now, realism here. Yeah, um, that can't happen. It, can't. it could. I just don't think a eighteen year old virgin girl would pull it off. She couldn't do it. But uh, Shelly has demonstrated it in te- television interviews. Oh, Shelley, she did? Shelly's learned how to do it, but Finn cannot do the trick. But Shelly can. Mm-hmm. Matchkin or whatever. Mad- yep. Wow, that's impressive. That's very impressive. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so they just did it. That's why it switches, and that's why the cut's there. They switched it out. Um, but it's still, yeah, oh God, yeah, I, I, I realized I loved girls at that scene too. I was like, huh, 
Girls are not. Girls do not have cooties, or if they do, I want all of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's there, and now I want to get because this is uh, the big red herring of this episode. Because uh, this is uh, this is the penultimate episode before the season finale, so we're mm. we're going all we're going just barging forward with getting like as many plot threads going as possible. Waldo trips the tape recorder. Yes. And I wrote down some of the things he says. And Cooper, okay, so Leo shoots the bird. There's a lot of blood there for a bird, like a shocking amount. A shocking amount of blood for a tiny bird that was starting. uh, There's some, what he says is, Laura, 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 don't go there. Hurting me, stop it. And ultimately, Leo, no, Leo, no. Mm Mm-hmm. So, leaving us to believe that Leo is probably the killer, what we do know is Leo probably assaulted her that night. Correct. And Firewalk With Me confirms he did assault her that night. Yes. Yes. Um, Firewalk With Me does con- does confirm that. Um, and that is one of those things, and then, and then the bird gets shot. You know it's Leo. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> he runs and jumps in his loud-ass truck. He away. Good thing it was Where's raining. the Corvette? How many cars does he have? Where's he's the got the Corvette, he's got the, the semi, and then he's got that random pickup truck. Yeah, why didn't he take the random pickup truck so he didn't have to be flashing? What the fuck is that? Uh, <laughs> where does the pickup truck come from? So, yeah. Yeah, it's another great timing because he shot the bird. Well, not good timing for him. The bird already got the confession out, so he just shot a bird for no reason. No reason. And, um... Um, and, and we're introduced again to, we, we see that Blackie, you know, she, we, we, we see a little bit of Blackie again. We know Blackie's not a good character. So the, yeah, she the, runs the brothel. Yeah. Yeah. She runs the brothel or so we think she runs the brothel, well, right? She's kind of like the, the manager the man. of the brothel. The, the brothel's ownership is ambiguously between the horns and the Renaults. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really explicitly say who owns it. It might be a joint they venture, do. but no, they both they, have an interest in it. No, they do say who, um, it, it, in the second season, Ben owns it and oh. the Renaults want it. Oh, okay, that's right. All yeah. right, yeah. How yeah. does he own it? Well, I mean, he's... He's the big shot. I mean, you read twin. You read the secret history. You look at the 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 the. Just he think runs how expensive. It would be for an American to own a casino. <laughs> In, in another uh, in another country, yeah, right. Um, I, I again, international law comes into play there. Holy shit! Um, so then, the 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 episode comes to an end when Catherine, a guy shows up um, with a new life insurance policy uh, <laughs> that's that's been taken out by by Josie and Ben Horn, <laughs> and you know. I love how the guy explains it too. He's like, I thought it was highly unusual that you weren't there. So I, you know, I withheld one because, you know, I wanted to do it. You know, no, you withheld it because that's the fucking law. <laughs> yeah. You're doing your job so you don't get fucking busted if this turns out to be sideways on you. Right. And again, you're doing this the night before you're going to try and fucking kill her. Are you fucking dumb? Like, yeah. This is shit that you do years earlier in secret and let it sit and let it sit and let it sit. If you're really that smart, because the minute they see a new life insurance policy and someone gets fucking caught, 
oh my god, those insurance invest those insurance investigators are going to catch on in about two point three seconds. Yeah, it's this is the you know this is relies heavily on the soap opera aspects of the show. It's it's not at the point where it's like frustrating like later on. It's just the it's noticeable now that we're paying more attention for this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Again, this is the business deal where now it's so convoluted that Josie's in on it. Like instead of breaking all these laws, why don't it just fucking sell the <laughs> land to Ben? Right, right. Do the project on the up and up. You're all gonna make a lot of money. I don't know what this is all being tied well, into. <laughs> and here's the thing, Kath. Okay, so Josie owns the mill. Catherine Martell is 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 you know is a, another interested party. Why the fuck didn't Joe Josie and Catherine just get together and go, let's sell the mill to fucking Ben Horn, come out with a bunch of fucking money out of this deal and be done? Like, why aren't these two like? Why is this happening? This is the dumbest fucking thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you really break it down, it would be Josie and Catherine conniving against Pete to sell the fucking mill. Yeah, it it does make sense. This is again, we're it's always like this. This was like the part of the show when I'd stop kind of paying attention. Sure. And every time I've watched it, I mean, I didn't care about it when I was little. Yep. I don't care about it now, and now yep. I'm looking at it now with the more critical eye. I it's so convoluted at this point now. It's like you said, it's the. Seen in Lethal Weapon too, or is it like yes. why, 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 Leo? God damn it! Shut up, Leo. So, um, and then, um, and then, you know, Josie calls Ben, letting her know that that you know to go forward with everything, and Hank's standing there, so you realize that Hank is involved. So, yeah, they throw a bunch of plot lines. Um, right before the, the this to just kind of what you know what's it all gonna do what's it, how's it all gonna come together and oddly enough it you know we'll, we'll talk about it next episode it kind of does it kind of does yeah. they actually do a good job of kind of tying a lot of these things up and showing where all the threads yeah the, are late meet mm-hmm. at the end which is why I consider. There's only a few shows where I think they did a, a perfect season of television where I, you know, like we ripped this apart, but I still consider season one of Twin Peaks one of the most perfect seasons of television. It's just like start and finish, I'm on board. Yes, I completely agree with you. Yes, and it, it's the writing here where it's all heading toward, you know, it's heading toward a plot. It's heading toward an ending. An mm-hmm. ending is in sight here. And that's uh, with season two. It doesn't do that <laughs> because uh, they got, I think they went in over their heads. Uh, I think this season one represents why I think FX does really good with like Fargo. I brought mm-hmm. that up before where you only have nine or 10 episodes. Yes. Cause you really trim the fat. You keep it focused because the next season's 20-odd episodes. Oh, God. It's 20-some episodes. And, yeah, it's... No, I, I'm with you on that. And, like, you know, I also loved the the, the 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 Shield was one of my favorite FX shows back in the day. I still love it. I still think it's a great show up till season four. Then it starts to kind of fall apart. But, um, 
Yeah, this is, I mean, you know, it took years and it took really doing this podcast for me to really kind of nitpick these few things. But I've, I mean, Joe, I, you know, every, every February I do the, the Twin Peaks marathon, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I do it at least once a year where I revisit the show. Mm-hmm. I typically do it around February 22nd, 23rd to Coraline with, with the show up. I'll be like, oh, it's Twin Peaks Day. Got to watch, got to, got to do my, my marathon. And when you watch it in that regards, and even again, when it was week to week to week to week, it was a little bit different. But again, when we were trying to do a, 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 what, what's turned into a two hour long podcast every, you know, every two weeks on these on these episodes, and you're really, you know, you're making these notes and you're looking at every little thing, you start to see the blemishes um, a lot, a lot, a lot. But I have to completely agree with you that I tell people, what you know, if anything, watch the first season of Twin Peaks. It's one of the perfect seasons of television you'll see. Watch the first 10 episodes of season two, skip to the last two. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. Or even, yeah, the first 10 episodes of season two, and then, yeah, the last two is pretty much all you need. I mean, you could mm-hmm. probably watch... You can just read synopsises and get caught up, and you, I don't think you'd be that lost since nope. you'd already know the characters. You'd already know the only the only character that will seem uh, uh, new to you because he doesn't show up till later is Wyndham Earl, and you can read a synopsis on Wyndham Earl. Yeah, and he's there's enough red herrings in this first season about him, and I think in the first ten episodes, yes, because like he was always like I brought this up, he was always in the works. He was mm-hmm. always gonna be an antagonist in season two. Uh, Lynch and Frost really like to kind of drag it along and take its time, which is, which is appeals so much to this first season. It takes its time. You know, we grab because there's a lot of C and D plot, but that's by design. It's it's by design. Us, it's, it's to keep us floating along in this crazy yes. thing. Like we we're talking, you know, like you brought up the shield and like these shows that were, they took the cue. And I think they saw the season, first season of Twin Peaks, and like condense it down to nine or ten episodes fargo did it breaking yep. bad did it uh it's after a while the sopranos started doing it like all these like pre- prestige television said hey instead of bloating this thing out why don't we just make it streamlined it and make it more focused and that's what i appreciated like us talking is like wow i forgot how focused this first season was it was it was and you know we had the uh, the disservice last last podcast of having to dig in the two very strong c and d plots um you know and again you don't normally do that um you know because again you're not going to sit there and talk about it for two hours um you know about a particular single episode you're looking at the whole arc so again you know i i know we came across very harsh in our last in our last episodes but in the scheme of what the season is those two those two episodes do fit very very well in everything that's occurring here and leading up to what will be happening next week um in the in the season finale um and uh, yeah, I, I I cannot. I mean, there is a lot that's going on, and when you look at it, yeah, there's a few things where you go, "Oh God, you know, I wouldn't have handled that in hindsight." But at the time, for what TV was, this is so much better than what was on. <laughs> yeah, no shit, dude. Like again, we will hammer this home throughout, and I'll even say, I think the return is as, as strange as it is. 
I think that also opened a lot of eyes on how to do television as well. Yes. Uh, and we'll I think see that. It's like with Twin Peaks. You didn't see it right away. You give it a few years. And it's not, it's not like people clone it. Like X-Files kind of got close, but it was still its own thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all these other shows, especially like I think HBO saw this and, as a template. They kind of used it for a lot of their prestige shows too. HBO, uh, Oz was kind of like this where it kind of went more into like character mm-hmm. and philosophy and got away with it, which was amazing. Uh, yeah, this show. So, yeah, this really set the benchmark for quality TV and uh, America was so stupid. We didn't really notice (laughs) at the time. We're just like, this thing's curious. It's strange. And then we didn't realize it was changing the world. (laughs) Yeah, it really was changing the world of television. Uh, Absolutely. And I do think that, you know, eventually someone else may have come along, but it wouldn't have, have really given it the, 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 the steroid boost as it were. Had it not been this, because this inspired so much difference. Was then went on to inspire something else. Was went on to inspire something else. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that there's a lot of um, that a lot of shows like everything. When you look at what we have for this golden age of television that we're dealing with, owes a lot of its roots to what is Twin Peaks. There's no question about that. Yeah, even uh, Damon Lindelof, who did Lost, and he did the the Watchmen miniseries. Like he credits Twin Peaks as his number one inspiration in that, you know, you can do this on TV where before the show came along, it wasn't. You couldn't no. do this. <laughs> you couldn't. No, no, you could not do what was being done on TV. And this was so different. And it was so shocking week to week to see this thing and seeing the the, the boundaries and the borders were just being. I mean, this was straight up wrecking ball. What was normal television? Yes. And so, uh, I think uh, with that, we come to an end, Paul. I would agree with you. I, yeah, everything's set up now for what would be the season finale. And, and holy buckets, uh, the season finale, which uh, I, I imagine we're going to do as its own episode. I believe so. To unpack. Mm-hmm. And then we'll probably do season two's opener as its own episode, as that's like the pilot. It's it's about two hours long. Agreed. Um, yes, 100%. I want to do this one as a standalone. Um, talk about, you know, some uh, there's some things I want to talk about, about, you know, w- when we get to the end of it, what did it mean for that time when it was off the air and people were waiting for the second season? And, um, oh, my God, people were losing their fucking minds. Yeah, but the th- they did really. This is also like a. New, it's a new thing, and we'll get into it because I don't want to yammer on too much. It, they did release the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. They, which did. was one of the first times a TV show did a tie-in spin-off with its own thing. You know yep. what? It, that was a companion piece to what you're watching, which is. And- I don't know if it had happened before, but this seemed pretty new when it came out. So I have probably in existence one of the very few copies um, of us. Uh, now, when we went, you and I went to the book signing for Secret History. Um, we were allowed to bring the book and one other piece of of Twin Peaks memorabilia for Robert Frost. Uh, for uh, uh, Robert Frost, uh, 
for for Frost to 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 sign. Um, I got him to sign a copy of of Twin of the Secret Diary of Twin Peaks, even though he didn't write it. Yeah, <laughs> they're selling them there though. So he they was. Yeah, fair enough. Fine, fine, fine. Ruin my Lynch, Jennifer Lynch, I believe, wrote it, right? Uh, yes, his daughter, Lynch's, Lynch's daughter. daughter. And then uh, I have it somewhere. I think I still, I still, the town guide to Twin oh, Peaks. Yeah, a little pamphlet. Yep. Uh, I'll try to find it for the next episode. I'll kind of because it's really fun. It's really cool. It's like a you know this highlights, and then it all has like this random like mysterious things in it, like. <laughs> Like, what the fuck? Like, if I was visiting this town, I'd look at that and be like, yep, get in the car, we're leaving. We're leaving. We're getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get that for the next one, because I'd love to hear more about that, because that's one thing I don't have um, of memorabilia that I don't have with Twin Peaks. But, yeah, I think um, I think that's what we should do. I think we should get into the next episode, maybe talk a little bit about The Secret Diary, um, and then the following one, do season one, uh, episode one by itself, We'll probably do leading up to the reveal um, in two parters, and then after the reveal, I would imagine we're gonna large be large chunks. Large <laughs> chunks. Because I really, I mean, I'm sure it's funny for people to listen to us just bitch about it, but it's gonna be so painful. <laughs> Go on for two hours for two episodes of that fucking season. Oh, dude, I don't. I oh, I'd end up like poor Harold, man. I yeah, I I can't see myself doing it. I I would love to for the entertainment value, but for my own mental health sanity, Especially I go with Voldemort. With, yeah, with Voldemort going on, I want to look forward to doing these podcasts. Uh, this is this is something I love doing, uh, especially during Voldemort. Now, um, I don't love. I won't love breaking down two episodes of season two apiece. Holy fuck. Oh God, no, no, it's not going to happen. It's 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 not going to happen. <laughs> me, I, me, me, everybody, we decided this long ago because uh, we had to have a game plan going in for season two because we want to be more prepared than the, <laughs> the show itself for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the format will change once we get into season two, definitely. And, um, uh, We'll talk about it because season three will be kind of a tricky one too. Just how it's <laughs> broken up. Yeah, that's gonna be tough. That yeah, I don't think we're gonna be able to really do it like this. I think we're gonna have to pick we, a plot. Uh, we might be able to. We, we might, might be able to just because it's this two out two hour two episodes. They they still all have like a lot of things going on. They do. They I do. Would, I, I will just tell everybody expect part eight to be its own. <laughs> part eight uh, part eight will be its own for and sure then, and then yeah probably the last episode will be its yeah own. i was gonna say the last episode will be its own as well um but we do have a lot of other things too uh in the works with this yes. and like we'll be doing an episode on secret history and the final dossier okay. mm -hmm. so we have a lot of love uh mythology we want to unpack and discuss because i love nerding out about twin peaks and i don't know a lot of people besides paul i can do this with <laughs> oh I absolutely i respected others in our uh, movie things uh not so much into lynch and Frost or twin no peaks. no no so yeah so um yeah i think i think we can wrap this up and um 
Joe, I want to thank you again uh, for being in the last episode of um, we haven't recorded our new one yet. So, it's, you know, the, the retrospective of the um, of cast that movie. Once again, I want to thank you for being a part of that. Um, we wholeheartedly enjoyed having you there um, so much so that we are going to try and make that a semi regular occurrence um, with you. So we'll work that out if you wouldn't mind, um, like every four or five episodes, having you come in and giving your, your feedback on what we've done. Absolutely. I had a blast. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We loved having you in there. We loved having that, that dynamic and, and getting, you know, cause again, me, I will admit when it comes to movies and kind of Scott and I, uh, Joe and I are very pretentious <laughs> and we can call up our own asses sometimes in our pretentiousness. I think we all do. I think, we <laughs> <are>. I mean, <laughs> me and Brown are the same way. Uh, but we still, yeah, it's, it's just the nature of the beast. It but, is the nature of the beast. But with but, that, this has been a podcast over a convenience store. And in uh, two weeks, we'll be talking season one finale. Mm-hmm.